Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, June 28, 2010. For those of you in the United States, 4th of July, just around the corner. It's a great day for eating hamburgers, hot dogs, and watching people blow themselves up with garden fireworks displays, especially here in the Midwest. Oh, man. Something I never saw growing up in California. Details in just a second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. Some of which we'll cover on today is a day. You know, I'm beginning to think that I re, need, re, need, need to rename this program. Uh, train wrecks in faith. Maybe uh, that might be an alternate working title. Anyway, talking about fireworks real quick, starting off on a tangent because, you know, it's just so fun because I can do it. Um, weird thing here in the in the Midwest, you can go to. Uh, well, they have fireworks stores just on the, just about every corner, and you can pretty much fire off fireworks any day of the year here. And the stuff that they sell, you can't get this stuff in California. No way, Jose. I mean, you know, you know, you know those things where you, you stick, you, you have like the <clears throat> cannonball-sized uh, firework, and you stick it into a tube, and it goes, boom, and it goes up in the air, and then poof, explodes. You can actually buy those here legally. I. <clears throat> Weird. Yeah, just in California, I mean, most cities don't even allow you to use fireworks. I mean, if you have a sparkler, I think it's a it, it you could get thrown in jail. But out here, no, you know, people light themselves on fire and blow themselves up with regularity and, you know, it's all legal. <laughs> Just one of the weird things I'm still getting used to here in the Midwest. So, <clears throat> yeah, adventures of a Southern California boy living in the in Indiana now. Okay, today's edition. By the way, good email. Um, got interesting. Uh, interesting edition of Fighting for the Faith ahead here. <sighs> the Ergen Caner thing has come to a head now. If you remember back, my prediction was is that there was no way that they were going to rule in Ergen Caner's favor. <laughs> but boy, they sure did try. You know, the uh, Liberty uh, University let the uh, the cat out of the bag either Friday af late Friday afternoon or early Saturday. I heard about it on Saturday. In other words, they were pretty much trying to bury the story. 
hoping that not too many people would be paying attention because, oh my goodness, the way they handled this Ergen Kaner thing, it is it's such a debacle. Anyway, I'll translate the uh, the uh, Liberty University statement for you. And, and it, what makes me qualified to translate it is not my study in biblical languages, but spending time in corporate America. And uh, one of the things I learned in corporate America is that many corporations and many of today, you know many of today's larger <clears throat> business organizations have become just a, a, as masterful at the art of spin as uh, any political organization. And so, in fact, many corporations are very political in their nature. So we're I'm going to be covering some of the news as to how it happened with the Ergen Kaner thing and the decision that came down, and then I'll translate their corporate speak. For you and and give you so that you can get, properly understand what really happened here because the long and the short of it is is that Ergen got demoted. Okay, that's the, the, no, I, regardless of the statement that came out, Ergen got demoted and and he might even have on his hands uh, a uh, how, how do they put that? There's a there's a, a constructive discharge. Is the uh, he may be a, a victim of constructive discharge, but we'll talk about that. When the time comes. And then we're going to be listening in on uh, Saddleback's Junior High Ministry. Uh, they've got a video. Over the last week, we played uh, some uh, audio from uh, a Saddleback Junior High Ministry. This is Kurt Johnston. Uh, they were talking They were talking about Starbucks versus Waterloo Station. And I. You know, it's like, what? Um, well, now they're talking about something that at least is remotely biblical. Uh, the idea of evangelism, you know, going out and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, calling people to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins uh, based upon what he's done for them on the cross, you know, all of that stuff that's, you know, in the Bible. Well, we're going to be listening to uh, Saddleback's uh, youth ministry guys, Kurt Johnson and Matt Hall, discussing the concept of uh, evangelism. And my question for you is, as you listen to the audio from this video, I mean, from one of the, I mean, obviously, the flagship purpose-driven church in the world, the, the most premier of all uh, purpose-driven churches, has to be Saddleback. And uh, th- coming from their youth ministry, their junior high youth ministry leaders, I mean, as cutting edge as they are, I mean, there's lots and lots, thousands upon tens of thousands of youth ministry leaders that look to Saddleback, to Kurt Johnson, uh, to you know, to give them advice on how to ru- effectively run their youth ministries, and so let's listen as as they talk about evangelism. I'm just going to ask a simple question: What's missing? <clears throat> you know, well, you're going to find out. And then I got audio from a news story um, out of Michigan. I, I, we've talked about Ian Lawton here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio and fight, Fighting for the Faith in the past. He uh, recently, maybe it was a year ago, things kind of all bleed together now. And uh, a while ago, uh, Ian Lawton got news, uh, got in the news because he started this spiritual but not religious movement. Well, it turns out he was, he was in a, you know, he's the pastor. Well, I don't know what to call him, but uh, he's the uh, head teaching dude. Um, Yeah, that's that's about right. Head teaching dude at uh, this, uh, well, formerly called Christ Community Church, and it's up there in Michigan, and, and they've torn their cross down and changed their name. And we're going to be listening to uh, audio from a Fox News story about this and um, kind of chime in biblically. And wouldn't you know it, uh, you know, that's also, well, 
this behavior on the part of Ian Lawton and what was formerly known as Christ Community Church uh, has that well that's decided it for us. You know uh, who who are we going to do a sermon review on today? Well, from this new church, uh, well newly named church three the C three inclusive community. Uh, that's the, that's the name of their church now. It's C three and they call themselves an inclusive community. Uh, the the name of the sermon I. The name of the spiritual meditation, um, yeah, see, I see, I, I need to rework my, it's been a while since I've really thought hard about the language I use in these regards, but as I'm going to also spend some time on the this new C3 spiritual communities uh, website and read to you some of the stuff they have up there and the, their website regarding what they believe and teach and kind of ask the question, um, uh, is, is there any significant difference between What's going on at Ian Lawton's church and much of the preaching that we're hearing from the Seeker Driven guys? Anyways, the name of the uh, the spiritual meditation that we're going to be listening to, uh, the spiritual pep time, the spiritualized self help um, seminar that we're going to be listening to from C three Inclusive Community is entitled "Evolutionize Your Life." That's evolution, like and think of Darwin. Evolutionize your life. That'll be our sermon review today. And uh, you know what's really interesting? I was um, talking with a friend of mine today and. You know what's weird is that I was telling him, I said, you know, if three years ago I said to you that there would be churches that are doing what I'm, what we're seeing happening today, right now, as you know, here at Fighting for the Faith. By the way, we're coming up on a two-year anniversary here for Pirate Christian Radio. That's uh, coming up on the thirtieth on Wednesday. So yeah, two years that Pirate Christian Radio has been in existence. I'm excited about that. Sorry about that bunny trail. Anyway, uh, I told my friend, I said, if if we if I told you three years ago that uh, in 2010, you know, in the summer of 2010, churches would be doing X, Y and Z and that people would be saying X, Y and Z and claiming still to be Christian. Uh, I said, you probably would have accused me of just being an absolute nut job, you know, and he said, yeah, you're probably right. But the reality is, is that, you know, I oh, man. Did you? I have you all listened to the uh, George Ellerick interview yet? Uh, I, I'm still waiting for the emails from you guys because listen, I was really nice to George, and the reason I was nice to George is because I wanted him to tell us what he believed and taught. But uh, I, I'm I'm leaving the initial reaction to uh, the George Ellerick interview to you all, uh, the listeners here at Fighting for the Faith, and uh, I've only received one one email so far and the email wasn't even a real debrief it was like a it was like a, a concern kind of email the the email basically said chris i i hope that you've spent some time telling george that he's that he's dead wrong and going to hell and and, and uh, rest assured i i, I want to give you just a little bit of history on on my relationship with george ellerick if you've been listening to the program then you know that he'd kind of been emailing his pieces to me for a while and wanting me to react to it and at first I didn't bite. And then finally I said, okay, I'll bite. Uh, that, yeah, okay, fine. I'll, I'll review one of your pieces. And, uh, and I emailed him to let him know that I was going to be critiquing one of his Huffington Post articles. And he was really excited. And I said, listen, uh, and I, I, read, I read the email that I sent to him, and I, I made it perfectly clear to him that I thought that his theology was absolute garbage. And I have had... Uh, over the course of the past few months, some very blunt exchanges with George Ellerick, telling him that he believes a false gospel, <laughs> telling him that he needs to repent of his false gospel, his false doctrine, and be forgiven. 
And and I, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, I have actually pulled out a double-barreled theological bazooka um, or elephant gun, and I've let him have it, both barrels in the face. And George Ellerick um, still wanted to come on the program and have a conversation with me about what he believed. Um, <laughs> I, Folks, I have, I have shared the biblical gospel on several occasions, quite frankly, quite tersely, with um with George Ellerick and um yeah it's um falling on deaf ears pray for him because i mean here's my question i mean is it possible is it humanly po- is it spiritually po- is it possible for somebody to deny every single major cardinal doctrine of the historic Christian faith, including the nature of God, the deity of Christ, uh, Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, Christ's return in judgment. I mean, pray, basically, take out the Nicene Creed, and you know, this this would be the, you know, the, what, what you want to know what George Ellerick believes, take out the Nicene Creed, and every single statement you know, read the statements as they're kind of grouped together, each of the different propositions that are put forward in the Nicene Creed, and then mark it out with a heavy black Sharpie and just put a question mark uh, at next to the statement. And uh, now you know what George Ellerick believes. He believes, I don't know. Well, he's not sure. Uh, pray for him. He, I mean, he's headed to hell unless Christ grants him repentance and the forgiveness of his sins. But, I mean, he denies every single major cardinal doctrine. And, by the way, I don't think it's accidental. The two interviews that I've done lately, uh, the Whiskey Preacher and George Ellerick, both cite prominent emergent leaders or postmodern emergent guys as uh, helping to steer them into the complete train wreck of theology that they currently hold. Uh, the Whiskey Preacher, who did he cite? He cited uh, Dallas Willard and Leonard Sweet. Who did uh, George Ellerick say were his big inspirations that got him thinking in a new direction? Rob Bell and uh, Brian McLaren. I don't think that's an accident. I, I think that George Ellerick and uh, the Whiskey Preacher are the fruit of the ministry of Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, T- Leonard Sweet, and uh, and those guys. You know, so pay pay attention, folks. What you read does matter. Uh, thoughts have consequences. Doctrines have consequences. And this whole emergent thing that has completely hijacked the visible church here in the United States, it's not safe. It destroys. Uh, uh, the best way I can describe it is, is it gives people a, uh, a basically a, a spiritual lobotomy. At the end of it, you're not capable of thinking a coherent spiritual biblical thought. It leaves you just going, I don't know. The only thing left is the spiritual padded room. I mean, this is I mean, this this is the fruit of of the emergent uh, teaching. It shipwrecks people's faith. It completely decimates them spiritually. They they are left completely useless and destroyed. And they, I mean, they're not proclaiming the biblical. Uh, biblical doctrine, Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, coherent, sound, uh, biblical thought, theology, doctrine. 
No, all that's out the window. So pray for George Ellery. Pray for the whiskey preacher. These folks have gone, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, they've see in the whiskey preacher's point, he went from legalism to the liberalism. So he went from darkness to darkness out of the frying pan into the fire. I'm not exactly sure where George Ellerick was. Maybe he went from darkness to darkness too. But uh, boy, I tell you, they sure are vocal in their attempts to destroy the historic uh, Christian faith and, and sound biblical doctrine. Okay, moving along here. Got an email I want to share with you all. Now, it wasn't addressed to me. Now, this was written by Chip, and I'm not sure where Chip lives. And I'm, well, I'm not going to say the name of the church that he wrote this email to. But the reason why I'm reading the email is because Chip spent some time applying discernment skills and contacted uh, the pastor at the um, church that he attended over the weekend, or I don't know if he's been uh, he's been ex- uh, visiting there for a while. But I the thing, folks, listen, I got I got to make something really clear here. Okay, one of the reasons why I'm not taking first crack at the debrief for Phil Shepard or for George Ellerick is because. Uh, fighting for the faith, even though it is radio, even though at times it can be entertaining, this is entertainment, this is radio with a very specific purpose in mind, and that's to teach you uh, sound biblical doctrine and uh, biblical discernment, which means that, uh, you know, as you've been listening to this program, it's your responsibility to start taking these tools that I model, use, use here on the program and and teach you and start applying them yourself to your own situations. Now, that being the case, let, let me give you just a little bit of a disclaimer, okay? I get a lot, a lot of emails from people saying, could you do a sermon review on this pastor or that pastor or this church or that church, Okay. And um, if you've noticed by my, well, lack of response, sometimes those, you know, many t- oftentimes those uh, sermons don't make the grade for what I'm trying to accomplish here. And I understand that there is an urgent need on your part to, uh, to get my feedback on this. But see, here's the deal. What I'm trying to teach you is how to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God so that you can do it yourself. And where I think uh, the the more important work is is that if you truly uh, are in a situation and you and uh, you you need you, you need to know what to do. I mean, if how do I evaluate this stuff? Do what I do. Evaluate it. Compare what people say in the name of God to the Word of God. Um, maybe I should put together like an emergency toolkit. Um, the idea being this is that um, I can't always get to these things. So the, the, the important thing is, is that if I can't get to it, you can do it. Yeah, but trust me, you can do this. You said, I don't, I don't know if I know the Bible as well as you. you well, yeah, you may not, but you need, uh, what, maybe what I can do is I, I, I've got an idea. I'm going to do it. And I hope that, in fact, I'm, I'll make a commitment. I'll have this done by the end of the week. I'm going to put together an emergency uh, sermon review kit uh, so that uh, in a situation where you need a sermon review, you can do it. And I'm going to just lay out the, the questions that I look for, the, ta- the, 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 the tools that I use when I do it, 
and give you some biblical, basically, you know, some good sound biblical doctrine to work from. And uh, and the, the idea here then is, is that you then can take this emergency sermon review kit and when you have a loved one or somebody that you're concerned about going into a church, you can sit down and you can apply these tools yourself and demonstrate to the person that you're trying to reach out to yourself and say, look it, this pastor said this, here's what God's word says. This pastor was saying this, here's what God's word says. And you can and you can do the comparative work yourself. You need to start applying these tools to your life. You need to start applying these and using them yourself because, well, I, I'm limited in what I'm capable of doing. I... <laughs> I I barely keep up with the workload that I have on a daily basis. So I wish I could help you all more. I don't have the means to do it, but the goal here is is not for me to fish for you, but to teach you how to fish. That's a so you need this is that's the idea here. And that being the case, this is the reason why I'm reading this email from Chip. And uh Chip wrote this email and he CC'd me in it. He wrote it to a um a church and to a pastor or, you know, sent this uh, basically his evaluation. And it's short. It's only like three paragraphs. But l- let me read this. Chip writes, he says, I have, I visited your church today and I'm, I'm not divulging the name. And he says, I need to share a couple of observations with you as a brother in Christ. A common model for sermons is a problem solution format. Basically, uh, what you did this morning, Pastor. Effective sermons are problem equals sin and the gospel equals the answer. The setup and description of the problem is drinking is a sin. It is the, the, the description of the problem was, is drinking a sin, was an adequate explanation that drunkenness, not drinking, is the sin. You had a good number of relevant verses in the first part of the message and some good points about not being a, a, a stumbling block for others and honoring your parents. The main failure, however, that I noted in your sermon was that as you moved into the solution portion of the sermon, there was no transition from law to gospel. I heard nothing about the solution being repentance in Christ's shed blood as the payment for our sins, all our sins, drunkenness, and all others. What I did hear you say was that the youth are our spiritual answer to our culture, not that the gospel is our answer. As I recall... You did not read any more scripture during the solution portion of the message, which seemed more psychological and self-centered, not God-centered. It seemed that you left the congregation with no real hope, just more that we, they needed to do, which is nothing more than the law. Watch or listen to the tape of today and consider the validity of these comments. Please make sure that you give a clear presentation of the gospel as the solution to every problem in every message. One analogy for the sermon format is like a baseball game. You have... You have to get a hit to get on base by describing a real problem, not a manufactured one. That is the setups or the problem. You still have to get home to score, and that requires the gospel. The more clear the problem or expl- uh, the problem explanation, the more straightforward the answer. That is the gospel. If the problem description is weak or confusing, confusing, it's like only getting a base hit to first, and then you need a super clear and strong presentation of the gospel to get you all the way home. I look through your website and and uh, just do not see a clear explanation about how repentance fits in between fa- the fallen nature and our relationship with Christ. Thank you for your consideration, Chip. And then he has a, qu- a Spurgeon quote, and Spurgeon says this, 
Discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between what is right and wrong. Rather, it's the difference between right and almost right. Chip, great email. Thank you for CCing me in, and uh, and I thought you did a fantastic job. Let me know what the pastor or what the church says about this, because I think you gave a very loving and clear explanation of uh, of what the you know what was the issue with uh, that sermon. Good, a good job. So, and again, that's just a great example of uh, of how somebody has taken discernment here and applied it themselves. Folks, you need to apply this discernment to your own life and you need to teach it you need to master it and you need to teach it to your kids. Don't expect your youth group leaders to be teaching it. Okay, moving along here. Um oh boy. Uh vintage news music, please. From Christianity Today, Liberty University cuts Kaner as seminary dean. Yeah, now, notice the headline. Liberty University cuts Kaner as seminary dean. The Associated Press, their headline read, Muslim turned preacher out as Baptist school dean. Okay, now, both the uh, Christianity Today and the Associated Press focused in on the actions of Liberty University rather than this statement. Okay, let me read, in fact, let me read the full statement first. Okay, uh, this is just crazy. Okay, this is this is the statement, the official statement put out by Liberty University after their investigation of Ergen Kaner. <clears throat> I read, after a thorough and exhaustive review of Dr. Ergen Kaner's public statements, a committee consisting of four members of Liberty University's Board of Trustees has concluded that Dr. Kaner has made factual statements that are self-contradictory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is such spin. Yeah, by the way, if you believe in factual statements that are self-contradictory, then let me tell you something about my weight, okay? Now, if you've been listening to Fighting for the Faith for any given amount of time, then you know that I'm pretty upfront about the fact that, well, I weigh way more than I should. But now that we've know, we now know that it's possible to have factual statements that are self-contradictory, I want to let you all know that when it comes to my weight, that I, I've, I've come to the conclusion that I'm really an underweight fat guy. Yeah, it's true. I, I'm an underweight fat guy. Just want to let you all know that. So, <clears throat> Dr. Kaner has made factual statements that are self uh, that are factual, factual statements that are self-contradictory. However, notice notice the placement of the okay. Let me okay. This is important. Remember, the word "but" erases the things ahead of it. Okay, I'm trying to translate this for you. Um, the word "however" many times in a statement serves the same function as the word "but." Okay, so here's what we got. After a thorough and exhaustive review of Dr. Ergen Kaner's public statements, a committee consisting of four members of Liberty University's Board of Trustees has concluded that Dr. Kaner has made factual statements that are self-contradictory. However, or but, which erases all of that, the committee found no evidence to suggest that Dr. Kaner was not a Muslim who converted to Christianity as a teenager. Uh -huh. When was that the issue? Uh, but instead found discrepancies related to matters such as dates, names, and places of residence. Dr. Kaner has cooperated with the board uh, committee and has apologized for the discrepancies 
and misstatements, misstatements that led to this review. Not lies, but they're just misstatements. Uh, Dr. Kaner's current contractual term as Dean of Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary expires on June 30th, 2010. Dr. Kaner will no longer serve as Dean of Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. The university has offered and has offered uh, and Dr. Kaner has accepted an employment contract for the 2010-2011 academic year. Dr. Kaner will remain on the faculty of Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, that's isn't that just great? Okay, now you say, what does all of that mean, folks? This is just corporate speak. This is political spin. Okay, um, here's how you have to read the statement. Okay, you have to read it. Read the statement in light of the actions taken. Okay, you have to look at the actions. Doctor Kaner is no longer the head of Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. He's been demoted. That's the action, okay? It doesn't matter what the story is around it, okay? The story is designed to, well, staunch bleeding or to uh, basically help repair damage that has been done, okay? You have to look at it from the point of view of Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, okay? Dr. Kaner made misstatements. He made factual statements that were self-contradictory. In other words, he lied to them. Okay, and they fell for it. They still have to somehow teach their students, their seminary students next year. Okay, and so they've got to, in some way, protect themselves and kind of find a way of repairing the damage that's been done. Okay, and there's another there's another aspect to it too, and that at, that other aspect is that this story came to light as a result of people that Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, by people whom they view as adversaries. And um, funny enough, in this particular case, the adversaries that are bloggers, both Muslim and Calvinist, okay? And Dr. Kaner has been an outspoken, almost cartoonish critic of Calvinism, Okay. I think that's part of why he got brought on. I, it, within uh, within the Baptists' uh, denomination, there is a sharp debate right now, really, really, almost nasty debate going on right now uh, regarding those who are more of a seeker-driven uh, Arminian uh, Pelagian bent and uh, those who hold to the doctrines of grace and Reformed theology. And um, as a result of it, I mean, there's there's some institutions that uh, that where the the Calvinists on staff in these ed- academic institutions are hanging on by fingernails, okay, and so I think I think that part of Dr. Kaner's appeal was he was almost bombastic and just bold and in your face in his opposition against Calvinism, okay. So you can't in their in their way of thinking you can't possibly allow the Calvinists to have any kind of a victory in this situation because that would embolden them against the agenda that they have against the Calvinists. That, that's As an outside observer, I've been watching this, this uh, really nasty political debate going on for several years within the Baptist ranks. And so I think that's, that's the other part of what's going on here. So if they had completely canned Dr. Kaner, 
then it would have basically emboldened the Calvinists and, and and maybe even some Muslims, but they're kind of outside of the camp. That's not the that you know. So so they couldn't give the bloggers a win. You don't want to give the bloggers a win because then that all that does is give them credibility and embolden them. And and you can't let bloggers look like that. Well. They have any credibility at all. I mean, remember, whenever somebody talks about bloggers, and by the way, I'm one of them, um, whenever people talk about bloggers, um, they don't ever address the content of the bloggers' uh, points. They always instead go to an ad hominem argument where they basically say, listen, those bloggers, they're a bunch of people who don't. Uh, you know, the, these are you know men in their 40s who live in their mom's basement and probably sit on bean bean bags in their underwear eating cheetos all day and and that their and their keyboards are probably all covered with cheeto you know the orange cheetos dust and these are people who are malcontents and and, and really mentally unstable and so that that I mean that's always the case they never deal with the content of the arguments brought up by quote bloggers Instead, they always have to go with an ad hominem. In this particular case, bloggers were very instrumental in helping to push this up to the point where Liberty University had to deal with it, and they dealt with they dealt deal with it. They dealt with it unwillingly, only because it got pushed up to what they considered to be credible sources, you know, credible news agencies. And so, if they had if they had canned Dr. Kaner, that would have been seen as a Big, big win for bloggers and and people who are supposed to be uncredible. Uh, yeah, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So the idea here is is that this is a face saving move on their part, but you have to look at the action. Dr. Kaner was demoted. Okay, not only that, I don't think he's going to survive past the one year academic contract that they've been that they've given him. I would be very surprised if this time next year. They renewed that contract. And so the idea here is, is by demoting him to a lesser position, he's no longer head of that of that uh, seminary anymore. They've demoted him to a lesser position. A year from now, who's going to remember this anyway, right? There's, there's going to be more important things going on, and then they can just quietly not renew his contract. Okay? That's what's going on. So did Dr. Kaner lie? Oh yeah, you bet your bippy he lied. Did uh, is that what they is is that what this committee discovered? Yes, that's exactly what they discovered. But they they want to handle this in a way that they didn't give their opponents, their political opponents, the Calvinists a win, the Calvinist bloggers a win. So that's what's really going on here. At least that's my that's my interpretation of of what it is. And you know, and when you read the Christianity Today story, the headline is is that they cut Kaner as seminary dean, and the Associated Press makes it very clear that he's no longer the dean of the school. You have to look at the actions. The actions are speaking much louder than the statement there, and the statement is just silly. So, anyway, that's uh, that's my two cents on it. So enough of the Ergen Kaner thing. Let's uh, go ahead and go to our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes, uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve package. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Uh, uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. 
I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of... Giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. All right, we're back. You like our new commercial spots? Warning. If you think that you can engage in factual statements that are self-contradictory, <laughs> then you'd be lying like a rug. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. And when you uh, join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute uh, $6.95 every month to Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to send, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 
508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, moving along. Um, let's see here. Okay, yep, looking at my notes here. Um, <clears throat> now, it might sound like I'm picking on Saddleback. I mean, far be it for me to do such a thing. But uh, Kurt Johnston over... <laughs> Uh, JuniorHighMinistry.com. He's the uh, junior high youth pastor there at Saddleback. And Saddleback is, well, the premier, the flagship purpose-driven church on planet Earth. And uh, that being the case, I mean, when they talk about evangelism, yeah, youth ministers across the globe tune in and they listen. It's like, you know, E.F. Hutton, you know, speaking. When E.F. Hutton speaks, the whole world's listening, you know. Well, same with the, the folks over at Saddleback. When they speak ministry, everyone's going to listen. And what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about something really important, evangelism. That being the case, um, if they're going to talk about evangelism, well, you'd think they'd talk about the evangel, the good news, Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance, forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, things like that. You know, Christ's death on the cross, all that kind of stuff. You think, because it, it's kind of like that's the whole, that's like the core, the nugget, the uh, the center, uh, the the sun in the solar system of evangelism, if you would. <clears throat> see if uh, you can make heads or tails of this and see if you can notice what's missing. Well, hello. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Simply Junior High podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm Kurt Johnston. You guys might recognize my friend here, Matt Hall. Um, some of you know Matt just because you've been around junior high ministry for a long time, and so has he. He's been working with us um, at, at Saddleback in our junior high program now for, what, nine uh, years, eight, yeah, years? eight, eight, years, eight so years? Eight years as one of our junior high pastors. Um, others of you might recognize him if you've used some of our small group video curriculum. You should um, have, like, a goofy hat on. Matt or, usually yeah. is in the background providing some type of comic relief. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's like the shtickmeister. Um, anytime we need something to happen... Funny, we call Matt, and he always answers the yeah. bell every single time. Um, speaking of our small group curriculum, if you haven't bought it, we've got all kinds of five-week small group curriculum that's really kind of... Yeah, notice episode 46 is entitled Evangelism, and well, it starts off with a commercial. Geared for junior high kids. You can use it with younger high school kids. We've got the red stuff, which is the words of Jesus. Scott Rubin from Willow Creek did that. We've got a couple versions of tough stuff. Actually... One version of tough stuff, um, a couple versions of Bible stuff, which is different things. Oh man, the <laughs> the names of these junior high curriculums are the red stuff, the the, the Bible stuff, and the what stuff. Uh, ah. Things from the Bible, smart stuff, which is the, the smart stuff. Oh man, Book of Proverbs. Tempting stuff is one of our newer ones that takes a look at how to deal with temptation. Um, coming out pretty soon, we have um, messy stuff. Heather Fleece, um, who's a oh, I wish this was a joke. A longtime junior high youth pastor out in uh, Minnesota, she did the five. How about the unbiblical stuff, or the heretical stuff, or the uh, Christless stuff? Weeks on messy stuff, which is going to be a really powerful one, helping kids deal with some. Oh, yeah. It'll be really powerful. We're going to be talking about messy stuff. When I was growing up, if we were talking about messy stuff, we were talking about my room, and it was usually in the context of my mom sitting, sitting there going, I am sick and tired of looking at and smelling this pigsty. 
You will clean this messy stuff up, and you're going to do it immediately. Otherwise, you will face severe consequences. Yeah, that was powerful, all right. That hurts. But in addition to being the shtickmeister, um, Matt does all... You've never been called a shtickmeister. I'm not sure. About that you like one. that? I don't know. I don't know. Shtickmeister. Yeah, that kind of works. Kind of works. I'll take it. Um, but Matt does more than just goofy stuff. He's one of the best junior high youth workers that I Wouldn't that be a great Bible study name? We can call it goofy stuff. You know, next to red stuff and messy stuff and the smart stuff. No, and he's served a variety of roles, played a variety of roles in our junior high ministry at Saddleback. Specifically, did you hear how a variety of roles? Yeah. like his little tires at post-lunch. <laughs> what was that? The, the glucose is kicking in or oh. something. A variety of And we're not even allowed to drink it. Glucose? Is sure it's glucose? Um, isn't that what it is? Fructose? Glucose? Well, whatever yeah, it is, it makes you tired. Yeah, yeah. MSG? That's it. That's <laughs> whatever it. it is, I got a strong dose of it. <laughs> Woo! He has played a variety. Woo is right. We're two minutes and 20 seconds into this evangelism video. I heard nothing about evangelism yet. Variety of roles in our ministry. One of the ones that you've always done very consistently. And we maybe we talked a little bit about this in the past as some junior high podcast, but I don't think you have. You've been on a couple of these is um, Matt oversees all of our evangelistic efforts, our outreach efforts with junior high kids. And we are in this kind of funky reevaluating, yeah. retooling, and we thought we could wait until we're ready to unveil something or we can just kind of talk about it a little bit and let people sort of learn from our learnings mm -hmm. and maybe begin a journey down the road with us. Mm -hmm. And certainly when we do land on something that we're ready to unveil, mm -hmm. if there is anything, um, we'll be more than happy to talk about that. But Matt, just talk a little bit about a little bit of kind of where we've been mm -hmm. with our evangelistic stuff and where you think yeah next to the messy stuff it's the evan this is the evangelistic stuff it's a it's a forthcoming bible study maybe we're headed with our evangelistic yeah, stuff yeah well, the last couple of years we've been doing a lot of the the bigger outreach type events like actual events where hey we tell our students bring your friends to this event and those have been effective in a way. I mean, we've, we've seen some fruit from that and some students get plugged into our ministry from those events. But where we're going... Uh, when a kid gets plugged into your ministry, does that mean he's repented of his sins and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins? Is that what you mean by getting plugged in? Is plugged in new code language for somebody who's been regenerated through the preaching of law and gospel? Not, we're going to still do maybe one or two of those or a year. But we're, we're trying to go more towards the individual conversations that we want our students to have with their friends, with their, with their unchurched friends. Which was always our philosophy. That, that, I yeah, mean, it was yeah. always our philosophy, yes. but we sort of went towards, kind of got away from it. A little bit. And, and just kind of leaned into events for mm -hmm. a couple of years. Yeah. And now we're kind of going back, back. to our roots. Circling back around. I like to call it radicalis, mm. which is a, a big word for roots. Wow, back to the basics trademark that. is, is yeah. what that stands for. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going back to the, yeah, back to the basics, uh, back to where we were, where uh, we really. Why do I feel like this is just a really, really bad outtake from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? We're gonna, we want to push or encourage our students on an individual basis to, to reach their circles, their world yeah. of people that are in their so lives. So it's sort of our old friendship evangelism. Yeah, yeah, very similar. But we're trying to figure out. Because here's the deal, what we learn in junior high. Now, I don't know about high school, but yeah. in junior high, not too much friendship evangelism, evangelism. was really going on. Yeah. I mean, our kids are good friends, Yeah. but it seems like in junior high, a whole lot of our kids, their biggest fear is just they don't want to be found out. They don't want to tell yeah. people they're Christians. Yeah. You know, it's like they're closet Christians. Mm -hmm. and, and 
a whole lot of our evangelistic effort is on friendship evangelism or was, and it wasn't really happening. So now we're kind of trying to, it seems like, yeah. figure out how do we go back to that in a more junior high friendly way. Yeah, like where, where can we plant, what kind of seeds can we plant? How can we nudge them? Where can we get them to maybe start small, like start light or not, you know, just bite off a little bit. Like, yeah. hey, okay, here's, here's what evangelism is. Right. Here's how what the Bible talks about it and how we're called to evangelize. And why why and do our why, friends need to know about Jesus? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to know Kurt and Matt, why exactly do little junior high kids need Jesus? What do they need him for? You know, a skate buddy? Um do they, you know, somebody who can help make their life better? I mean, what do they need Jesus for exactly? I, I'm kind of not understanding that part. Yeah. And and one of that is one of those things is not maybe not using the word evangelism. I mean, I mean, even though that's the Bible clearly talks about evangelism, but for junior hires or middle school students, that's a big word where a lot of our... Oh, yeah, because junior high kids are just not capable of understanding those big biblical words. So we got to read, we got to rename them. Well, I know, let's, okay, rather than calling it evangelism, because that's a Bible word, and, you know, the junior high kids, uh, that, uh, scary, scary. Uh, maybe we can call it Mickey Mouse time. Yeah, that'd be our little code word. Yeah. So, have you uh, had any Mickey Mouse time with your friends? Yeah, Students a, it's don't a, know what it yeah. means. It's and... a big word, and if they do think they know what it means, they probably don't really. Yeah. And they probably have. It probably because their youth pastor hasn't taught them. I mean, seriously, my kids have known what evangelism is from the time they were in elementary school, and they had no problems actually boldly proclaiming their faith, all three of them, from the time they were in elementary school through junior high and into high school. They don't have a problem. They know what their faith is. They know what all the big, huge, scary Bible words are. You know why? Because we've taught them these, we've taught them the Bible. Why is it that you guys feel like you have to spoon feed, feed these kids so that you can't give them, you know, why? Oh, man, they're just treating these kids like complete morons. Oh, yeah, no, 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 we don't. We're not going to teach you those big, scary Bible words. No, because that would require us to actually teach the big, scary Bible. And they have a big, by the way, they have an advertisement on this page for the um, one minute Bible. And we continue connotations or images in their mind of TV preachers or street preachers, yeah. you know, the bullhorn, the bullhorn guy yeah. type of people. Rob Bell um, illusion. Rob Bell's the one who put together the bullhorn guy video. Bull. I think that makes kids, they don't want to be associated yeah. with that. They yeah. don't want to be that kind of guy yeah. or that kind of girl. Yeah, intimidates them a little bit. Intimidates maybe. them. And yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, just thinking through what... Um, yeah, please tell me when you're going to start thinking this through again. What we can do, maybe, you know, where they do write down, simply writing down a, one friend or one person that they know that they can maybe share their faith with or look for an opportunity, not, maybe not even to share their faith, but just to invite their... That so, no, 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 we don't want them to share their faith. We just want them to invite people to the youth group. A person to right. church. Right. Or just to have a conversation with them about God. Well, or, talk a little bit about how, like, what are we... We just talked yesterday at lunch yeah. about some of our thoughts of how do we make the weekend mm -hmm. begin to help kids. Yeah. You know, because kind of to say to a kid, go tell your friends about Jesus. Yeah. Cold, that's that's a big ask. Sure. So what are... What yeah. Of course it would be a big ask, especially... I've got to be careful. That was ask, A-S-K. Of course it would be a big ask. 
especially if you're not really catechizing these kids. And if the bulk of your ministry isn't grounded in solid biblical teaching and working, basically working even kids through the full counsel of the word of God. What are some of the things that we're thinking about doing on the weekend Mm -hmm. to help fertilize that soil, so to speak, to kind of help put a little wind in their sails and help build a culture that lets them go, oh, I I can do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing is is to expose them to evangelism. So so talk about it. Have a weekend or two, maybe a mini-series where you explain what evangelism is. Kind of demystify it a little bit. Yeah, just say, here's, here's really, you know, it's not... If you would just teach the Bible, I mean, the, the subject comes up all by itself. As difficult as you might think, or maybe what you've heard from from your parents or from, you know, pe- yeah. people in the past or at church in the past. So talk about evangelism. Uh, create a culture of evangelism. Maybe having some... <laughs> create a culture of evangelism. Oh, so we need to be cultural evangelism architects. I don't even know what that means. Sort of reach or evangelism area in our room on the weekend where it's it's always there in front of their eyes. And it's 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 a simple, you know, whether it's a simple card that they they, they can pick up that explains. And reminds this, them of it. Or reminds them of it that they can grab on the way out each weekend. Um, to, yeah, just, just creating easy ways yeah. for them to... Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think just trying to constantly put it in front of them, yeah. having kids share testimonies that, hey, I didn't come to church yeah. until a- Kids sharing testimonies. That's not evangelism. The gospel is not your changed life. The gospel is Christ and him crucified for your sins. If you, t- if you think your testimony is synonymous with the gospel, then, well, apparently then Alcoholics Anonymous is also the gospel, too, because, well, AA changes lives. So does Mormonism and Islam and Buddhism. They all change lives, too. They all must be true, then. <sighs> friend invited me. You know, just hearing how many, how many of you, how many of us, we went to church because a friend invited us. You know, yeah. and I've grown up in church, but for a lot of people, yeah. you know, it was that ask. Somebody asked. They probably didn't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love what we've been talking about, just how do we really simplify what it means to talk to somebody about Jesus and how do we help kids prepare their heart? And we, you know, we used to have bigger, deeper, more... Prepare their heart? What? Impressive steps. And, and we haven't landed on this, but one of the things we're thinking about is, you know, let's, let's just create a culture where we, we tell kids, here's, here's the three things you do. You know, here, here's three things. You, you talk to God about them. You pray for pray. your friends. You talk to God about them. You talk to them about God. Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out what does that mean? What are we training our kids? But it's telling you. We have to figure out what that means. So talk. I, okay. We, you know, I, okay. We want you to pray to God about your friends. And then we want you to talk to your friends about God. But we, we're not, sh- we need to make sure we understand what that means. I'm not sure what that means, but we'll figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> your story, mm-hmm. talking to them about what Jesus has done in your own family's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean. You have- How about what Jesus did on the cross? have all the answers and all the apologetics invite them to church, invite, the church, you just, you just talk to them about god yeah and then the third sounds like you're talking to them about yourself not about jesus or god step was take him to church oh that's right remember yeah. so talk talk to god about them who's the evangelism guy on our team me or you how come i know this stuff and you don't i was thinking that it's like oh so you know i get so excited about bringing them to church you know, you know talk, it was we, we talked about this yesterday at lunch now yeah. talk to god glucose. About, glucose. Talk, glucose yeah talk to god about them Talk to them about God, take them to church. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that was that's sort of the steps we land on. Mm-hmm. And what I love is our friend Scott Rubin, who's a junior high pastor over at Willow Creek. Yeah. He uses this language with his junior high kids. 
And I think this is genius. I mean, maybe... I can't wait to hear what the genius stuff is from Willow Creek. As you're sitting there going, how do I help my kids talk about Jesus? And how do I... They're so afraid. He talks about the idea of the door. And you, you, you knock on your friend's door and you, you start by just saying to them, hey, do you ever think about God? Mm-hmm. Just ask him that question. Do you ever think about God? Do you ever think about Jesus? And he said, guys, as soon as you ask your friend that question, which obviously is a big question. It's a, you know, that's a kid going out there on a limb to ask their friends that. But what his point is, is if your kids are really, if your friends are really your friends, you're not going to lose a friend mm-hmm. just because you ask them that question. Yeah. Do you ever talk? Now, where you might lose your friend is how you respond to their response. Because he says, you know, you'll get one of three doors when you knock on that door. You ever think about Jesus? You might get a shut door, which is, no, that's stupid. I don't know why you think about Jesus. Well, that's a shut door. You don't cram that door open. You might get a cracked door. Well, I don't know. Not really. Mm-hmm. Or you might get an open door where the guy goes, no, I never think about him. I'd love to hear of him. Or, yeah, I think about him all the time, but I don't know what to think about him. Mm-hmm. That's an open door. Mm-hmm. And so he teaches his kids mm-hmm. just to identify, is this a closed door, a cracked door, and an open door? And you're not going to lose a friend. By asking about Jesus. Folks, oh man. You know, I hate to say it. Accuse me of oversimplification. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that anyone has accused me of that, but <clears throat> just let's take a crack at this. Are you ready? Raise your kids up in the Christian faith. Make sure they know the Bible backwards and forwards, that they know what Jesus Christ has done for them. Drill into their brains that they are sinners in need of a Savior and that Christ died on the cross for their sins. God regenerates your kids. Your kids are a new creation in Christ as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit. And they now do good works. And with the, and when their faith feeds on the word of God, they can't help but proclaim Christ and him crucified, as well as defend the Christian faith. Real simple. But the thing is, is it takes it, that takes a lifetime of study and work. And this is the job of pastors and parents. Teach your kids the Christian faith. They will bear fruit. And you don't need any of the silly stuff. By the way, we, what's missing? I mean, when he talked about ta- telling people about God, tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. Oh, yeah, well, let's use the Apostle Paul's in it. Well, I, well, I, you could use the Apostle Paul's testimony there. Uh, well, you know, I was on my way to Damascus, and Jesus knocked me off my horse and then, and, and, you know, blinded me and, and then told me I had to, you know, that I, he had work for me to do. So I started doing it, and then I got stoned several times. I've been shipwrecked. I, you know, almost, I've been hunted down like I was a dog or an animal. I was whipped. I was flogged. I was put in prison. And yeah, yeah, Jesus has totally radically changed my life. It it just, it's that your life story, your testimony isn't the gospel. Peter wasn't out there telling people his testimony. Peter was telling them about Jesus and what he's done. You're not doing evangelism if you're talking about your lo- your life and what's subjectively happened to you. The reality is is that people might actually you might come to a friend whose life is well pretty good. And they don't really need the Jesus you're selling because they don't their life isn't bad. But if you tell them about sins, the wrath of God and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name that changes everything because they realize they're a sinner in need of a savior. And that applies to everybody, whether or not they're having a good life, their best life now, or a bad life. doesn't matter. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what's missing here. I mean, 
this this cluelessness when it comes to evangelism. All right, moving along. All right, our last segment before we uh, go into the next break and then come back and do our sermon review is from foxnews.com. It's, um, well, this is a story that ran over uh, the weekend, ran yesterday. Church trying to be inclusive removes cross and changes its name. It's a story about uh, a church, well, formerly known as Christ Community Church, and they're up in Spring Lake, Michigan. Uh, well, spiritual guru Ian Lawton is the guy who runs the place. Anyway, I want you to hear this segment, and uh, and then we, uh, you know, I'll chime in accordingly as I normally do. But uh, here is this uh, story from Fox News. Is it cross alienating? Would it alienate you? Well, one church in Michigan thinks so. So, in the temp- okay, a church thinks a cross is alienating. What kind of sentence is that? To be more inclusive and to not alienate potential worshipers, Christ Community Church has not only changed its name to C3 Exchange, but it's also removed the cross from its bell tower. Joining us now is that church's senior pastor, Ian Lawton, and the CEO of International Aid, David Wisson, a longtime resident who disagrees with what the church is doing. Good morning, uh, gentlemen. How are you? Morning, Good morning, Peter. Good. Pastor, um, from what I understand, you want a so-called de-church your church. De-church your church. I want to un-Americanize America. I, what kind of language is this? And for you, the cross or the crucifix has become a negative symbol. How is that so if this is a Christian church? Yeah, it's a great question. They're showing photographs of the church being taken down. Well, here's what's happened at C3 over the last couple of years. We've had a number of people join our community. We've had Buddhist, Jewish people, Muslims, gay people, spiritual but not religious. Everyone's come and joined. So we've changed the name and moved the cross to kind of catch up. With- so they've joined your church, but you didn't give them Christ and him crucified for their sins. You didn't preach the gospel to them, right? So now you've got this entire community full of people who aren't even Christians, but you want to keep your little organization, your little social club up there in Spring Lake, Michigan. Who we've become. Basically, there's something we have in common that's, that's, uh, that goes much beyond all of those differences, and that is we want to be all we can be in the world and make a difference together. We want to be all we can be in the world. That's a slogan for the Army, and we want to make a difference. <laughs> Quick question, folks. Um... If you've been listening to this program for any amount of time, isn't this the same exact themes that we're hearing from so-called seeker-driven and purpose-driven churches constantly being preached Sunday after Sunday? Is the road that those seeker-driven churches on the same road that um, this church that Ian Lawton supposedly pastored, is that the same road they're on where you lead to pluralistic universalism? So you've become a universalist uh, community, uh, and you've secularized what was once a Christian community. You accept atheists, you accept people of all other religions. Is that right? Basically, that's what's happened, is that people have been... Then you're not a church. ...been attracted to our community because it's open, it's inclusive, it's diverse. But more importantly, people have come because they want to make a difference. 
They want to practice being human together, and this is a... They want to make a difference, and they want to practice being human together. Where on earth does the Bible talk about this? It doesn't. This isn't Christianity. Safe place to do it. Um, Mr. Wisson, uh, is it a matter of diversity, or is it perversity? In ter- Great question. In terms of traditional Christian principles to which this church wants you'd. Well, well, first of all, I'd like to clarify, I don't have a problem with um, C3 taking down the cross. I actually think it shows a lot of integrity because they're not standing for the message of the cross anymore. A good point. However, that being the case, I do have a problem with it, and I'll tell you why. I mean, basically, apparently somewhere along the line, this church stopped being a church. And the taking down of the cross is pretty much, you know, the funeral service for the church. But what we've seen here, this is what happens. This is where false doctrine takes people. This is where false doctrine takes a church. Got to remember, Satan is actively, actively involved in the ch- in, in the greater church and in churches in order to destroy them, to get them off message so they don't proclaim the biblical gospel. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Without that... You don't have a church. Without sound biblical doctrine, you don't have a church. And so I guess in one sense, yeah, they have integrity at least to change their name and stop pretending to be a church. That's great. But this is still a terrible tragedy because Satan has murdered this church, absolutely destroyed it. This is now a synagogue of Satan. That, By the way, if you think that's a strong term, that's a biblical term. Read the book of Revelation and Jesus' own words in the book of Revelation to the seven churches of Asia Minor. You'll find one of the churches there referred to by Jesus himself as a synagogue of Satan. That's what this church has become. Um, the cross is a, um, a message that for followers of Jesus Christ, that that symbol has high value. But the Bible clearly states that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. He says very clearly, no man cometh to the Father but by me. And Christianity, by definition, presents Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation and reconciling man to God. So to have that reconciling man to God through his death on the cross that combined with other religions, um, I think it's confusing. Mr. Wisson, thank you for your uh, comment. Uh, Pastor Lawton, thank you. Have a good uh, Sunday. And we appreciate you both being here. Uh, Pastor Lawton has had this nasty smug smirk on his face. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have your Bible, please turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where then is the wise one? Wise one, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews, and it's folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Um, not many were powerful. Not, not many were of no, noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing, nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. So C3 Exchange, which was formerly Christ Community Church, has been murdered. The gospel is not there. The only thing there is damnation and foolishness in God's eyes. However, it sure does look wise to the world, wise to those who are perishing. But it's not the biblical gospel. It's something different. And it's sending people to hell. When we come back, we're going to listen to a recent sermon preached by Ian Lawton of C3 Exchange in Spring Lake, Michigan. And in reality, I wonder if this, I mean, his sermons are, they, his sermon sounds like, sound like they could have been preached at any of the local seeker-driven churches. Many of them, in fact. But we'll save that for the other side of the break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, 
how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. Hello, this is Reverend Matt Slick, President and Founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. I wanted to let you know about our online schools of theology, apologetics, and critical thinking. Each school has been developed out of my more than 30 years of experience as a teacher, author, and defender of the Christian faith. With these schools, you can learn what you need to know about the Christian faith, how to defend it, and how to promote the gospel. The three schools are very easy to use, and you can go through them at your own pace. They are designed with short, succinct lessons that include topics such as Christian doctrine, the Bible, evangelism, the cults, atheism, evolution, Islam, logic, and critical thinking. Each lesson is followed by questions that you answer in a self-paced fashion. So, in order to grow in your Christian faith, please visit karm.org, that's C-A-R-M dot O-R-G, and click on the link for the online schools at the top of the page and enter the code PIRATE to receive a 10% discount. Okay, we're back. Hour number two. We're well into it here at Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Yep, we get to hear what... Pastor, well, I'm sorry, spiritual guru uh, Ian Lawton sounds like. Let's cue up the sermon review music. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Exchange, an inclusive community in Spring Lake, Michigan. Spiritual guru Ian Lawton presiding. The name of the sermon is Evolutionize Your Life. Again, that's Evolutionize Your Life. Now, we just heard... By the way, if you want to see the that the video uh, of uh, them taking down the cross there at C3 Exchange, uh, you can find it at the Museum of Idolatry. That's my uh, one of my blogs, the Museum of Idolatry. You can find that at a littleleven.com. That's a littleleven.com. And the name of it is Church Removes Cross, Jesus Christ and His Gospel. That's the name of the exhibit. Yeah, truly an artifact of apostasy. Now, let me kill this music real quick here. 
spent a little time earlier today on the uh, C3 Exchange website, you know, getting a getting a feel for uh, what they're all about. And uh, they are they build themselves as an inclusive spiritual community. And uh, that being the case, um, let's take a look at, well, I look at the who we are statement. And uh, let's see, C3 Exchange is a pioneer in the in the inclusive spiritual movement. It offers resources to enrich and to empower the lives of all people in body, mind, and spirit. Yeah, quick question, is there anything significantly qualitatively different between that statement and the statement that we're hearing over and over again from all of the different purpose-driven, seeker-driven churches? Uh, I don't think so. Number one. They like pursuing relevant religion. That's point number one in the Who We Are uh, page. They like to pursue relevant religion. As life has evolved, so have beliefs and values, and religion is awe. It's a celebration of life itself, and we seek to address tangible daily life issues such as work, ethics, relationships, and health with searching questions and awesome respect. Pursue justice. We seek to change. Uh, we seek to be the change that we wish to see in the world. Uh, liberation begins as an inner freedom that inspires liberation in others. And we value community, collaboration, and global partnerships, ensuring that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are honored for all. Uh, pursuing sustainability. Pursuing wellness. We value holistic health as an expression of spiritual or integral well-being. We see nutrition, emotional health, relationships, and spiritual practices such as prayer and meditation as being the core components of health. Again, I, I just ask the question, what's different between what these guys are teaching and what you see at uh, Rob Bell's church, Willow Creek, uh, Saddleback? Um, we celebrate sexuality. We celebrate inquiry. We're celebrating creativity. We value the arts as creative expressions of the deepest human yearnings. We honor the mystery of life, and the manifestation of this mystery includes and transcends words and diverse and artistic expressions. Celebrate interfaith uh, relationship and community. We celebrate universal truths. We celebrate diversity of religious perspectives. We celebrate community. We value community, community where compassion and interrelatedness are expressions of the unity of life. Participating at C3 Exchange isn't so much about beliefs and rituals as it is about learning to be human together. Deeds, not creeds, if you would. We value our local community, the global community of which we are a part, and the web of life that sustains us and depends upon our care. Again, I just asked the question from the Who We Are page uh, from uh, C3 Exchange. I mean, if I were to read this and say that this I got, found this from Saddleback's website, would it sound out of place? If I said I found this at Willow Creek's website, would it sound out of place or kind of, you know, that doesn't sound like Willow Creek? No, it actually probably sounds like both of those places, doesn't it? Huh. Of course, you know, Willow Creek, they don't have a cross on their property either. Just a little note. Um, yeah, let's take a look here. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> let me read to you the sermon, the titles of the recent sermons. The one we're listening to uh, today was and reviewing is called Evolutionize Your Life. Heaven is Coming Home to Reality. Uh, then, then before that, we got Bringing Heaven to Earth. 
Uh, memory and gratitude, a new way to inner peace. What's in a name? Risk-taking and inner peace. Finding inner peace on holy ground. Are God and nature one and the same? Learning from Earth's patterns. Um, Easter, supersizing your optimism. Families, the world, and Nepal, that's in it. Nailing your true colors to the cross. Mindful activism, when spirit meets action. Trinity, loving many things. Sex education, uh, the pregnant pause. Embodying divine sensuality. Evolution of God, waking up to a new earth, knocking on heaven's door. Soul plane, jet lag of the unconsciousness, the Messiah in your midst. These are similar sermon topics that I'm hearing preached all over the place. How about breathing new life into stale relationships? Haven't we done a sermon review that sounded just like that title from a seeker-driven and purpose-driven church? Breathing new life into stale relationships? The one thing you won't get, by the way, the one thing you won't get at three C3 Exchange is that they're inclusive of all spiritual community stuff as long as you don't proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and the exclusivity that in Christ, the salvation is found in no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, that being Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That's not welcome there. They're inclusive of all other spiritualities, but not that spirituality, not the cross. That had to go. Christ Community Church, that's not their name anymore. Christ had to go. So, I mean, is this the, I mean, is this where seeker-drivenism ends? Was it that C3 Exchange was just one of the first seeker-driven churches to arrive at this new destination? Hmm. It just might be that this is where the purpose-driven and seeker-driven church movements take churches and that this is the end stop for all of them. So without any further ado, here is, well, actually, this isn't Ian Lawton preaching, by the way. I should have made that clear at the beginning. This is a uh, guest speaker here. Um, I Unfortunately, I don't have his name in front of me. I'll figure it out as we go along. The name of this, this um, spiritual meditation is entitled Evolutionize Your Life. The title of my message this morning is Evolutionize Your Life. And it really could be seen as part two of what I shared a couple of weeks ago. Those of you that weren't here, I'll give you kind of a quick summary. But to evolutionize your life is essentially to come into harmony or into alignment with reality as reality really is, not just as... Oh, yeah, yeah, Jim, wow, that's deep. Wow, where's that in the Bible again? Oh, that's right. Sorry, you chucked that out. As we wish it would be or want it to be, but as reality really is, it's to align our life. It's to align our inner life and to align our priorities, our commitments with... Alignment. I've heard these sermons at seeker-driven, purpose-driven churches. We've reviewed alignment sermons here at Fighting for the Faith. The way things really are. And when we do that, we know a peace that passes all understanding. We don't merely have to wait to die to experience heaven. We can experience it in this life by being aligned with reality, saying yes to life as it really shows up, faith in God and trusting the universe, celebrating what is, loving what's so, accept faith in God and trusting the universe? Huh? 
accepting what's real. All of these are different ways of pointing to the same fundamental stance toward reality. In fact, I'd like to offer a third scripture reading this morning. And it's one. A third scripture reading. Pay close attention to what the scripture source is. It's not the Bible. One from Loyal Rue. He's a philosopher of evolution. He teaches at Luther College. He wrote a book called Religion is Not About God. And it's probably the best general theory of religion that I know of. This, here's a quote from Loyal Rue. The most profound insight in the history of humankind is that we should seek to live in accord with reality. Indeed, living in harmony with the reality may be accepted as a formal definition of wisdom. If we live at odds with reality, foolishly, then we shall be doomed. But if we live in proper relationship with reality, wisely, we shall be saved. Now let's talk about what the Bible says is real reality. All of us are by nature dead in trespasses and sins and wretched sinners in need of a Savior. And reality is that Christ died on the cross for our sins and the call of the gospel, the biblical message of the gospel, is for all sinners everywhere in every nation to repent of their sins and unbelief and to trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That's reality. Humans everywhere and at all times have had at least a tacit understanding of this fundamental principle. What we are less in agreement about is how we should think about reality and what we should do to bring ourselves into harmony with it. Just to recap or to summarize the main points that I made two weeks ago, part of coming into alignment with reality on a personal level, on an individual level, is to know our story, to interpret generously, to honor our instincts. Know our story, interpret generously. Mm, yeah, wow, this is just spiritual poison. Stinks. And to be a blessing to others and to our world. So just let me go through this a little bit slower. To know your story. A person with amnesia who doesn't know their story who doesn't know who they're related to, is not going to have a sense of their majestic lineage. They're not going to know how profoundly connected they are and what a glorious lineage they are a part of. For example, if we don't know at least the basic flow, the basic broad sweeps of this evolutionary story that we are part of, we're not going to know that the stars are our ancestors. We're not going to know that the what? The what? The stars are our ancestors. Really? So I have a distant cousin who's a star. Oh, man. There's a relationship that we have in terms of the actual atoms of our bodies to stars that lived and died before our son was even born. We're also not going to know the fact that we are, there's no discontinuity between nature and the human. That the universe as a whole has gone from simple atoms, first just hydrogen and helium, and then more complex atoms and molecules, and then more complex molecules and creatures and more complex creatures, and then societies and more complex societies. 
And it's one unfolding, emerging process that we're part of. We're an expression of that. Human beings are literally the universe after some 14 billion years of unbroken evolution now becoming conscious of itself. We are literally nature uncovering its own nature. A human being looking out at the stars is literally the universe looking at itself and just gawking like, wow. Oh, boy. Um, we are, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> the Bible and Jesus Christ have long left the building. So what you're hearing here is pure, unadulterated speculation. No revelation. This is all speculation. And notice he said that the book he was reading from is on par with Scripture, apparently. A biology student looking through a microscope is the planet Earth learning with awareness, with consciousness, how it's functioned unconsciously and instinctually for billions of years. So when we know our story, we learn what a magnificent family we're a part of. We learn what a magnificent lineage we're a part of. And we gain some hope and possibility for dealing with the challenges in our life because one of the th- and our culture because one of the things that we recognize when we look at the whole sweep of evolution is that chaos, breakdowns, and bad news are the primary thing that drives creativity and transformation. In fact, I could say it as strongly as this. The number one thing that has driven creativity and transformation for billions of years is chaos, breakdowns, and bad news. It's the most important thing. And so knowing that about our story allows us to trust the chaos of my life, our lives, our time, our culture, our species, our world. So we can be engaged in participating in this process to co-create a just, healthy, beautiful, and sustainably life-giving future. But we can do... Co-create. That's an emergent uh, phrase. Do so from a place of hope and possibility rather than fear and overwhelm. Because we have billions of years of grace at work that now is feeding into our moment. I'll go into a lot more of this on Tuesday night. To interpret general... Just want to let you all know, you are hearing the voice of Satan speaking. That is not an overstatement. Generously is, as I shared two weeks ago, we all are responsible. One of the things that we know about the human brain is that human beings are interpreting animals. We can't not make meaning of our experience. We will always interpret it. Even if you say something's meaningless, you're making it mean nothing. We're always interpreting So the question is, how do we become good? How do we exercise the muscle of interpreting generously? Interpreting our time, our chaos, our crises, our relationships, our, you know... How about rightly handling the word of truth, the Bible, and repenting of all of this nonsense? Situation at church or at work or wherever, interpreting that relationship. How do we interpret more generously? There's nothing, I'm going to suggest to you, that there's nothing more important for the quality of your life, the, the most, the, the, the primary determinant of the quality of your life isn't what happens to you. It's how you interpret what happens to you. And so getting good at interpreting generously rather than interpreting in a stingy way is perhaps the most empowering thing that you can do in your life. Certainly one of the most empowering things that you can do. To honor your instincts, and I'll spend actually the, the, the bulk of what I'll be sharing on Tuesday night is an understanding that to be aligned with reality is to gain deep time eyes and a global heart. 
deep time eyes and a global heart. What did that sentence even mean? This is gobbledygook. And so gaining deep time eyes in terms of human nature is to understand that we have mismatched instincts. Our instincts lead us in ways that really made sense in terms of it, those, these instincts guided and helped our ancestors to survive and reproduce. Yet we live today in a world in which those instincts, if we act on them indiscriminately, can cause some problems. They can cause us to... Oh, you mean sin. Sin. Behave in ways that are out of integrity, given our relationships and our commitments and our life and that sort of thing. And so how do we make sense of this? Well... The ancients, certainly in the Western tradition, spoke of original sin, the fall of Adam and Eve. These were profoundly accurate night language, poetry, metaphor, spiritual insight. Oh, so original sin is poetry and metaphor. Into the fact that our instincts aren't matched for the world that we today have to live in. They match that world in which our ancestors used to live in. And that mismatch can cause some challenges. And I'll be speaking a lot about this um, on Tuesday night. I'll be going into much more depth than what I shared a year ago. Learn your story. Interpret generously. Honor your instincts. Because when we can have appreciation for that which we used to judge and condemn about ourselves, we find that we can be empowered rather than sabotaged by our own instincts. Where our instincts can actually serve our life and our marriages and our mission and what we're most committed to rather than distract us. Or set us off course. Because I don't frankly know of any Christian, Muslim, or Jew that is genuinely appreciative of their sinful nature. And yet that's what an evolutionary understanding gives us, is we can have appreciation that if it weren't for these instincts, we wouldn't even be alive today. So now your sinful nature, apparently that's a good thing. Yeah, see... Those people who've been telling you that's bad, they just didn't understand that from an evolutionary point of view, your sinful nature, that's an important thing for your survival. Hmm, who did I hear this from? Oh, yeah, that's right, Nietzsche. Uh Uh-huh. If it weren't for the fact that our ancestors had these instincts and having appreciation, it's kind of like that old phrase, what you resist persists, but what you can appreciate empowers And then finally, be a blessing to others. And I offered last time uh, several ways that you can be a blessing to another. One of them is to simply acknowledge by following your instincts, by doing what was just natural, what was effortless in your life, you have left a wake. And some of that wake isn't something that we are usually proud of. We've left pain. We've left suffering. We've hurt people. We've harmed people. We've betrayed people. we've, We've given our word and we broke it, but we never cleaned it up and these sorts of things. And as long as we're beating ourselves and feeling guilty, we're not likely to clean that stuff up. But when we can appreciate that we were simply following our instincts, then it makes it really easy to go to those people and say, hey, you know something? I never told you 17 years ago that if I could go back and do it again, I would. I'm really sorry for how I impacted you. And I wouldn't be surprised if you still are furious with me around that. Wow. That kind of communication transforms lives. It transforms hearts. It reconciles. Another way that we can be a blessing is simply to express gratitude to someone. 
to simply express how much we appreciate what this person, and maybe their impact on us wasn't entirely positive. It doesn't matter. If you just focus on what you can genuinely appreciate and communicate that and shut up, it will work magic. You can be a blessing. And I shared some stories of that last time. And then also, finally, when we follow where our joy and the world's needs intersect, when we follow the place where our joy and the world's needs intersect, that's our calling. That's our mission. That's how we can participate in the growing edge of what God or the universe or reality is up to today in a healthy way. So I want to speak for the rest of the time this morning on what does it mean for humanity to come into right relationship. We spoke very briefly about uh, sort of just recap in terms of individuals, persons, but what does it mean for humanity to come into right relationship with reality? And who are some of those who are playing a prophetic role? Not right relationship with God. No, 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 no. This is right relationship with something that isn't even a person, reality. Not right relationship with God, but right relationship with reality and those who are prophetically speaking about this thing. Uh huh. See, one of the things that we also know about human nature is that, as Loyal Rue's quote pointed out, we all have come to ways of relating to reality. And all religious traditions, no matter what the difference is in religious traditions, because some people say, you know, God said this, God did that. Other cultures say, no, the goddess said this, the goddess did that. Other cultures say, no, 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 God did this, God said that. And you've got these hundreds of differing, competing, contradictory stories about what God said or did. That if you interpret God as a person, you can't make sense of those. But when you understand from an evolutionary perspective that all cultures have personified reality, either reality as a whole or some significant aspect of reality, and personification is one of the things that our brains do. In so God is not a person. He's he. Uh, we've we've personified God. So God isn't personal. What is God? Please tell us. Innately, it's what we are programmed to do. You know, Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway. He personified that soccer ball, Wilson. And it's one of the things that kept him sane. That's just what our brains do. When we remember that God is a sacred, meaningful personification, not a person, all of a sudden, not only does that make sense of all the world's religious traditions and their differences, but it also allows us to see that there's no conflict between science and religion. There's no oh, boy. There's no conflict between head and heart, faith and reason. However, when we... One of the things that we do as humans is we tend to concretize or crystallize our particular metaphors, our analogies. So we say God is Father, and what we mean originally is that reality is fatherlike, which is true. But reality is also motherlike, and that's true too. But when we concretize or crystallize those metaphors, we then think God is Father, God is a person, a father, therefore God is not mother, lover, friend, and you've got these warring perspectives. And so what occasionally happens is cultures concretize their religious thinking and it no longer performs the two things essential for all religions. Every religion has helped provide personal wholeness and social coherence. Personal wholeness and social coherence. And Okay, I want to point something out here. 
Why is this incompatible with biblical Christianity? Plain and simple, because the Christian truth claim is that God is a person. And how do we know this? Because God was incarnate in Jesus Christ. We don't pray to an it. We don't pray to an idea. We pray to a a person, Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. He was, he is, oh man, God is absolutely personal. This is not Christianity. This guy, it, again, I reiterate, this is a synagogue of Satan. You are hearing Satan's voice. After a while, when we concretize these things, no longer do these myths, these stories fulfill that role. And so we need a prophet. A prophet is someone historically, not just in the Western Judeo-Christian tradition, but also in other traditions as well. A prophet is someone who sees what's real, senses what's emerging, and then speaks in a bold, unflinching way to the culture and says, here's what's real, folks, and here's what's emerging. We either align with reality or else. Bald-faced lie. Look at the prophets. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel. Prophets, especially in the Old Testament sense of the word prophets, were those who were called by the personal God, Yahweh, and called and given God's word specifically to speak to apostate, whoring, idolatrous Israel to call Israel back to the one true God and to abandon idols and false religion. What this guy said, this is not even close to what the biblical idea of a prophet is. That's the general sort of stance of a prophet. And I'm not speaking about prophet as like a supposed foreseer or a foreteller of the future. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who basically says, we need to align with reality or we're going to suffer the consequences of not doing so. And periodically cultures have needed that. Religious traditions have needed that. One of the things that uh, Ian uh, generously mentioned to me, I, I listen, as I mentioned before, a couple weeks ago, I listen to Ian's sermons all the time, as, as does Connie, my wife. And I appreciated, Ian, when you said that uh, you called me a free spirit um, and then said that I'm not tied to or wedded to any particular tradition. And while I certainly celebrate and own the fact that I am a free spirit, I'm not sure that second point is quite right, or at least it's not the way that I see it. I celebrate and honor and cherish my Christian tradition. I have... No, you don't. You contradict every aspect of Christianity, every solid biblical doctrine, including the doctrine of the Trinity, the incarnation of Christ, the personalness of God. However, also drunk deeply at the well of earth-honoring spiritualities, spiritual paths, as well as Buddhism. But the primary tradition I emerge out of in terms of religious tradition, belief-based tradition, is Christianity. And I still hold that as my tradition. However, for me, it's not a matter of having unnatural beliefs. It's a matter of being a part of a lineage and being committed to living in my time the kind of integrity that the stories of Jesus the Christ we find. And so the tradition that I'm most connected to, that I feel like I'm a spokesperson for, is, the, is not a belief-based tradition at all. It's, a, it's the worldwide self-correcting tradition of what we call modern science. And that tradition, the scientific tradition, is knowledge-based. It's evidence-based. It's not belief-based. 
And this is where the interesting place where we find ourselves now as a culture is that science has a lot to tell us about how things are and which things matter. See, that's what all religions have done, how things are and which things matter. And science tells us a lot about how things are. What religions are all about, they are maps of reality. All religions are maps of reality. And they map how things are and which things matter at a particular time in human history. However, if we today go to ancient maps of how things are and which things matter and try to use those maps to guide our species today. I'm not saying there's not rich spiritual wisdom there. There is. But if we try to use that as maps to guide our species today, we're going to run into some problems. For example, imagine trying to go from Spring Lake, Michigan, to Portland, Oregon, with a GPS system that's programmed with a map that's 150 years old. you got the Oregon Trail in there. Imagine trying to drive, and your GPS system is trying to lead you or doesn't even know that certain roads exist. In other words, one of the great possibilities of our time is taking our best collective intelligence, because that's what science is, is humanity's best collective intelligence. But taking that, and then again, we have to interpret. So interpreting it in an inspiring way, interpreting it in an empowering way, interpreting it in a way, interpreting the whole findings of science in ways that motivate and inspire us and empower us to live lives of Christ-likeness. In other words, greater compassion, greater integrity, greater love, greater generosity, greater care and consideration, not just for our in-group, but for the entire world. And that's why I said it's deep-time eyes and a global heart. All religious traditions have sacred stories that tell us why to behave very differently with the in-group than with the out-group. I mean, for example... We are, most of us in this room, I suspect, come out of the Jewish and Christian traditions. Our sacred texts, or one of them, is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Thou shalt not kill, commandment number six. Who did that apply to? Other Hebrews! It was okay to wipe out the Philistines. Twenty million Canaanites, destroy them all, thus saith the Lord. Now, I'm not picking on the Jews or the Hebrews. You please need to hear this. All religious... Yeah, the problem is, is that that passage really understood thou shalt not murder. These traditions have meaningful, sacred stories that tell you why to behave very differently with the in-group than with the out-group. That's why if we are guided by an internal map of reality that's two, 3,000 years old, or in the case of Islam, you know, a little more than a thousand years old, we will not... Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words will never pass away. Notice how he's deconstructing the Bible. Oh, it's like an old map. You know, there's new roads now, and science is the one leading us. Not God, the Holy Spirit. It's science. Mm-hmm. Right. Have an accurate sense of how things are, and thus we will have a, a slanted view of which things matter. And in a world where weapons of mass destruction have become smaller and smaller and are ever becoming smarter and smarter, more and more powerful, and more and more easy to obtain, if we have groups with sacred stories that tell us that it's okay to kill the infidel, 
It's okay to do things like the crusades. We will, we are going to have many greater challenges as a species. That's why a global heart recognizing our common creation story, that we are all connected, we are all related, and the divine, however we conceptualize the divine, reality is speaking to us today. And I think one of the most radical things I would like to share with you today, and I think you all are probably way ahead of 99.9% of religious congregations in America that I'm aware of. That's why I love your name, C3, exchange. Because one of the things that I see you all in the process of exchanging, and it's not easy for everybody, there's going to be some resistance and struggle and challenge as well there should be. Because evolution is a conservative and a liberal process. Both are necessary in evolution. There's the conserving element, that which protects, holds on to the learnings of the past. And you wonder why I claim that evolution is not compatible with biblical Christianity. This is, this is a good example of why. If DNA is anything, it's conservative. And yet also there's the liberal impulse, that which is to expand beyond what has before. That is to expand our circles of compassion and commitment and care and cooperation. These are some of my offerings for your three C's. <laughs> and so when we do this, when we recognize that our hearts can expand to include people that our grandparents thought were enemies, when we recognize that our sacred scriptures is what, let me put it this way, that God, reality, is speaking to us through every fact discovered by science. Evidence is the main way that the divine reality is speaking to us today. And when we get that, when the Christian church, for example, gets that, it will, it will stop its decline and it will begin to grow and thrive again. To the degree that we think that God's best guidance comes from the Bible rather than current evidence, we will continue to see the church slowly but steadily become ever more irrelevant because I will say this, and this is about as bold as I can say. I can't say this in almost any other Christian church. I know you're an inclusive spiritual community, so that's why I feel safe to say this. Nothing, this is what I'm proposing, nothing is driving young people away from God, away from reality, a right relationship with reality, faster and further than the Bible. And I'm not... Wow, let me play that again. By the way, this, I found out who, is this, who this guy is. His name is the Reverend Michael Dowd. I'm trying to figure out a little bit more about him. Holy guacamole. Let me back this up. Hear this again. Nothing, this is what I'm proposing, nothing is driving young people away from God, away from real, a right relationship with reality, faster and further than the Bible. This is the Reverend Michael Dowd, who's preaching there at C3 Exchange. Um, let's see here. He's got a book called Thank God for Evolution. Wow. Um, that's his contribution. Let me see if I can get a bio on this guy, but let me continue. And I'm not, please hear me, I am not putting down the Bible. Yeah, you are. I honor Scripture. I've read no, it you straight don't. through twice. Oh. Yet if we interpret the Bible literally, 
We're going to be trying to operate out of a map of reality that's 2,000, 3,000 years old. And we will not have clear guidance for what God's revealing, what reality's revealing today. We need to be pouring over what science is revealing. The journal, I, I long for the day that theologians and ministers vie with each other to find the most inspiring interpretations about what God is revealing today. Yeah, so the big problem, the thing that's driving people farther and farther away from a right relationship with God slash reality is the Bible. The Reverend Michael Dowd, and I'm reading about the author here, is one of the most, quote, inspiring speakers in America today. He is the author of Thank God for Evolution, How the Marriage of Science and Religion Will Transform Your Life and Our World. Transformation, here we go. Uh, which has been endorsed by six Nobel laureates and, auth- and other science luminaries, included noted, noted skeptics and religious leaders across the spectrum. He and his wife, Connie, an acclaimed science writer, have spoken to more than a 1,000 groups since launching their itinerant ministry in 2002 at home in both liberal and conservative settings and uniquely gifted at building bridges between religious and non-religious people Michael shares the epic of evolution, our common creation story, in ways that uplift and expand our heart, mind, and soul. His passion is showing how an evolutionary understanding of human nature can inspire and empower each of us to live with greater integrity, joy, and zest for life. Let me see here. Michael graduated with highest honors from Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri, affiliated with the Assemblies of God, where he received his B.A. in Biblical Studies and Philosophy. He also graduated with honors from Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary, now Palmer Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <sighs> yes, you are still hearing the voice of Satan. Then we will see the church become really relevant. And the last thing I'll say this morning is one of the things that, again, inspires me so much about what you all are doing here is that you recognize that symbols matter. And I realize that you're getting some real flack from your neighbors, and I'm sure there's resistance within the congregation as well, to taking down the cross. There's nothing wrong with the cross. The cross has been a symbol of Christianity for 2,000 years. And yet what I hear in Ian's preaching, what I feel when I talk with you, is that you're not in any way putting down the cross. You're simply saying that is one symbol among a number of symbols that we find valuable, that we honor, that we cherish. But it's not the sole symbol. And what, I, what I'm hearing is a desire to have a global heart as your symbol. In other words, a heart that's inclusive, a heart that includes all. Which is not to Folks, this is where all these churches are heading. I I don't think that this this ultimately is going to be a unique story with C3 Exchange. I think this is where seeker-driven and emergent churches are all heading. Say, see, inclusivity, there's often a misunderstanding. Inclusivity doesn't mean just making space for all ideas. It means making space for all people. All people have dignity. Our diversity is essential. But not all ideas are useful. Not all ideas will, put, will further this evolutionary process in a healthy way. And so we need to be discerning about ideas and welcoming. Yeah, I've discerned that this is satanic. Of our diversity in people. And paradoxically, and I know I'm about to say is probably going to shock some of you, 
But to my mind, the people who are playing some of the most prophetic role of our time in our culture, in other words, they're saying to us religious people, hey, religious people, here's what's real, here's what's emerging, you better align with reality or you're toast, you're extinct. And it's the new atheists. Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett. Oh, good night. I see the new atheists as God's prophets. In fact, the day... That is absolutely ridiculous. Atheists don't believe in God. How are they God's prophets? This is complete gobbledygook. This is irrational philosophy. Oh. day I was diagnosed with cancer six months ago. By the way, I just came back yesterday or day before yesterday. I flew out to uh, Seattle and I was tested. I had a CAT scan and I met with my oncologist on Thursday. And I'm happy to report that there's still no sign of cancer. So I'm one happy camper. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It must be a miracle. But the day I was diagnosed with cancer, I asked myself, because I had a tumor the size of my fist attached to my spleen, and I didn't know if I could die soon or not. And I asked this question. I asked God, my heart, the universe, reality. I asked this question. <laughs> I asked God, the universe, reality, whatever it is. It's not personal, but I asked it a question, even though it's not personal. I said, if I were to die tonight, is there anything that I still feel pregnant with? Is there any message? What would be the last message that I was... I would communicate if I were to die tonight. And the phrase, the new atheist as God's prophets, popped into mind. And I'm here to tell you, it wasn't exactly a welcome thought. <laughs> because I realized that communicating to the world, the new atheists are God's prophets, would have most theists and atheists running in opposite directions for the barf bags. <laughs> yeah, but don't worry. He definitely for sure got this revealed to him from the reality. The unpersonal reality. And yet, interestingly enough, the God that Richard Dawkins says is a delusion in his, in his best-selling book, the New Atheists are best-selling authors. They're not giving religion any slack. The God that Richard Dawkins says is a delusion in his God delusion book is a delusion. The God that Christopher Hitchens says is not great in his book, God is not great, how religion poisons everything, is not great. And that vision of God as a person rather than a personification may not poison everything, but it poisons a lot. The faith that Sam Harris claims is ending in his best-selling book, The End of Faith, deserves to end because it's not faith, it's beliefs. And beliefs are an attachment of the mind to something being a particular way. Faith is an open-hearted, open-handed stance to trusting reality. And this is where I think the great gifts, the, the great prophetic gift of the new atheists is they're forcing us as religious people to get real about God, to get real about guidance, and to get real about faith and inspiration. That God is a, a sacred personification, not a person. That God is real. God is, a, God is a sacred name, a mythic name for reality. And you know something? God is Lord. You may think that you're the, you're the, uh, the, the author of your life, that, you know, that, uh, you get to control? No, there's a larger reality that ultimately has say. Because you may think things are going one way and all of a sudden, a surprise. Get used to it. And of course, Native Americans had story of God as the trickster, the coyote or the fox. Knows that point. It's a personification that that's the way life really is. 
So they're forcing us to get real about God, to get real about guidance. Our best guidance, our best maps of reality aren't ancient maps. They're current maps. And now our sacred goal is to interpret those maps generously and in an inspiring way. And finally, they're forcing, they're, they're forcing us to get real about inspiration and ultimately faith. And I'll conclude on this note. I see you all, C3 Exchange, as exchanging the symbol of the cross for the symbol of a, of a global heart, an inclusive heart. But I also see you all, or at least I hear it in, in, in Ian's preaching all the time, is that you're exchanging unnatural guidance for natural guidance. And that is profound. Because as a Christian, and I am a Christian, I'm an evolutionary Christian. I'm not a flat earth Christian, I'm an evolutionary Christian. You're not a Christian at all. As a Christian, I can say this, that the gospel is denigrated. It's belittled when we think about it in unnatural ways. I mean, supernatural... And unnatural are synonyms. Anything that's supposedly supernatural is by definition unnatural. And think about it. Does this sound like good news to you? An unnatural king who occasionally engages in unnatural acts sent his unnatural son to the earth in an unnatural way. He was born in unnatural birth, lived an unnatural life, died and was unnaturally raised from the dead. And he uh, spent 40 days appearing unnaturally to some of his followers and then zoomed off to heaven in an unnatural way to be reconnected with his unnatural father, sit on an unnatural throne. Notice he's attacking the historic Christian faith and what the scriptures teach. ...and to unnaturally judge the living and the dead. And if you believe in all this unnatural activity, you and your fellow believers get to go to an unnaturally, you know, long paradise in an unnaturally boring place while everybody else suffers an unnatural tormenting hell forever. And that's an applause line in this once named Christ Community Church. Please, again, I don't want to be misunderstood. I am not mocking the Christian gospel. Yes, you are. You just did it. Don't lie to us this way. I am, however, saying that the new atheists are speaking on behalf of reality when they challenge our otherworldly superstitions as if they're real. And when we interpret the gospel naturally, realize the gospel, we find that our traditional Images and language and supernatural language can have a this world, this way, this life impact. And that's where I think you all here at C3 Exchange are, are, are paving a way that hundreds and eventually thousands and perhaps eventually millions of other congregations will follow in the years and decades to come. And I so applaud what you're doing and the courage that it takes. And I just want to say how honored I am to have been able to speak here twice within the same month. I'd like to close with a quote. Not a prayer. Because then how do, you, how do you pray to a reality? This quote is from Christopher Fry. It's from his poem, A Sleep or Play, A Sleep of Prisoners. And it goes like this. The human heart can go the lengths of God. Cold and dark we may be.
But this is no winter now. The frozen misery of centuries cracks, breaks, begins to move. The thunder is the thunder of the flows, the thaw, the flood, the upstart spring. Thank God our time is now when wrong comes up to face us everywhere, never to leave us until we take the longest stride of soul that folk ever took. Affairs are now soul-sized. The enterprise is exploration into God. So what are you waiting for? It takes so many thousand years to wake. But will you wake, for heaven's sake? Thank you. I'm a- Folks, what you just heard completely reeks of sulfur. It's from the pit of hell. It's satanic. And it's mocking of biblical Christianity. This is not Christianity at all. The reason I play this is because I'm absolutely convinced that C3 Exchange is not a unique situation. It's not a unique, quote, church. This is the end of the line for all of these churches that are abandoning sound doctrine, the preaching of Christ and him crucified, and teaching people the full counsel of the word of God. This is where this is all going. This is just the first of many churches that are openly embracing this new reality that they've created for themselves. This is the future of the seeker-driven and purpose-driven and emergent church. They're all molding, melding together, and this is where they're going. You haven't seen or heard anything yet. The blasphemies that you just heard spewed, that's just tip of the iceberg. What's coming is even worse than this. And that this is going to become the new norm. And it's tragic. And it's awful. But I don't see how any of this can be avoided unless pastors repent and get back to preaching Christ and him crucified. This is where all of this is going. You haven't seen anything yet. You think it's bad now? Year, two years from now? This is going to be old hat. This is going to be the norm. This guy has preached and taught at over a thousand different church gatherings since 2002. Don't tell me this isn't going to be the norm. This is well on its way to becoming that. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, our listeners, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world to warn them and to teach them about sound biblical doctrine and discernment. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you arrive at the website, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And the reason that is important is because uh, once we get to a 1,000 listeners, well, that makes it so that we can meet on a monthly basis our minimum budgeted expenses. We're, not, we're still not quite to a 1,000 yet. We've got a ways to go. And on top of it, our expensive ha- expenses have increased uh, since we began this uh, campaign to get a thousand listeners to join our crew, so got to keep that in mind. But if, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. Folks, what'd you think?
I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to email me, is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of our sins. Amen. Amen.